So today we are hanging out in the book of Lamentations and we're just in it for a couple of days. If you're doing the daily Bible reading, I think literally yesterday and today, um, I am recording this the week before, so forgive me for that. (laughs) But we are in it, I think, just for two days, maybe today, tomorrow. Um, And um, I'll be honest with you, there was part of me that was like, oh, we're only in it for two days. Let's jump into Ezekiel and have an extra week in Ezekiel. But as I was reading through and just praying over it, I just... Yeah, I think I don't want to miss any book out because this, this whole thing is God's word to us. And it is amazing. It is amazing that the creator of the universe would give words to human beings to write down that we might know him and know his heart and get to see who he is and what he's up to. And I think Lamentations really does show us more of who he is, really does challenge us to be more invested in our relationship with him and to seek after him. So, yeah, so we're going to hang out there today. So um, what is Lamentations? Well, <clears throat> the book of Lamentations um, is this broken-hearted song. Uh, cast your mind back uh, to all those songs that you've heard kind of on the charts going by year after year that are about broken-heartedness, how I've been hurt and wounded, or this has fallen apart and this relationship has ended. That is what Lamentations is. It's this cry of brokenness. Like, look what has happened and this weeping over something. It is a broken-hearted song over the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. Now, um, there are five chapters, five chapters in the book of Lamentations. And uh, each chapter has 22 verses. Okay, let's talk about structure. Each chapter has 22 verses, with the exception of the third chapter, the one right in the middle. And that middle chapter, it has three times 22 verses. It has 66 verses. Now, if you have been tracking with us for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about how in Hebrew literature, what what the Hebrew writers would do is they would hide the meaning of what they were writing right in the middle. Um, And not only that, If something was really, really important in Hebrew literature, they didn't have exclamation marks and capital letters and underlining and all that kind of stuff. What they would do if it was really important, they would give it more word count, more floor space. Okay, so here we've got five chapters, each with 22 verses, with the exception of the middle chapter, which has three times 22 verses. It has 66 verses. Hold on to that. Also, these five chapters, they are arranged as acrostic poems. So that means that each chapter uh, goes through the Hebrew alphabet from A, B, all the way down to Z, um, if we were doing it in English. But in, in in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters, and each verse starts, each line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, with the exception of the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter just kind of loses that structure and it's just a bit more of a mess, a rambling. Um, Why is that? I want to just say why that is. You see, it's thought that Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations and he is weeping and crying. It's this broken hearted song over Jerusalem. And chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are him processing this pain, this sadness, this sorrow and trying to bring order 
out of that chaos. He's trying to structure his pain, trying to work through it. What on earth has happened to this city that I love, to these people that I love? What has happened here? And he's trying to bring order to it. And he gets all the way through and he gets to chapter 5. And he just can't hold that order anymore. He just can't find that structure anymore. He's been trying to do that. And his pain, his grief is so much that it just falls apart. And it's just this desperate cry out to the Lord where he says, restore us, oh God. And that is how chapter five ends. Just this mess of language, which ends with this heart cry, restore us, oh God, restore us. So let's talk a little bit about what each of the chapters are. Um, so chapter one is, the, uh, is, is this poem or this song, this cry, and it is about the place. Okay, chapter one is about the place, about Jerusalem itself. Listen to this from chapter one, verse one. Talking about Jerusalem, it refers to her as she. She was queen among the provinces, but now has become a slave. Like Look at her. Look at what's happened to her. And it's, it's this, this chapter all about the place. Chapter two is a chapter about p- the punishment, what they have been through, what they have endured, what has happened to them. Uh, listen to this from chapter two, verse two. It says this, without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. It's this chapter all about what has happened to them, the punishment. So chapter one, place. Chapter two is about punishment. Chapter three is about the prophet and the prophetic message that he was speaking. Um, And this is why this is the center, okay? Because in the midst of all the pain, there's still this prophetic message of hope. There's still this enduring word of God that never fails, never fades. God's promise to them. This is why this chapter gets the most amount of floor space, the most number of verses. Listen to this from verse 21 in chapter 3. Yet, so in the midst of all of this, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. That is the message in chapter three. And and that, as you know, in Hebrew literature, the meaning's often right in the middle. And that is the hope that Jeremiah still holds on to. That is the key of all of this. In the midst of the pain, there is still promise. Okay, so place, punishment, prophetic message. Chapter four is about the people and what's happened to them, who they are, where they were and where they are now. Listen to this. This is um, just about one lot of the people from verses seven and eight. It says, their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies. Their appearance like lapis lazuli. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as a stick. 
Chapter 4 is all about the people and, and where they were and where they are now. And finally then, chapter 5 is this messy, epic prayer where Jeremiah's got to the point of, I can't bring order to this anymore. It, it just doesn't hold up in my mind. It breaks me and my words are now broken. The structure is gone and I just cry out to you, God. And in verse 21, he says, Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days and as of old. That is uh, an overview, if you like, of what is going on in the book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, like I said, probably written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it's an epilogue uh, to the book of Jeremiah. It comes at the end. Jeremiah has spent his entire life preaching to the people, this is the word of the Lord to you, this is what God is saying, what God is doing, and they didn't respond, they didn't listen, they didn't hear the word of the Lord that's spoken through Jeremiah, and Lamentations then is Jeremiah just standing back and weeping over Jerusalem, uh, as, as he looks and sees that God's word is fulfilled, as all that God said would happen has and is happening. All that he has spoken is now coming to pass. And Jeremiah is just weeping and crying out. In, in Lamentations chapter 2, in verse uh, 17, it says this. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. The Lord has done what he had planned. He has fulfilled his word that he decreed long ago. Lamentations is the fulfillment of a promise that God made. You see, back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, through Moses, God says to his people, hey, if you obey me, then I will bless you and that will be how you live. But if you disobey me, then you will be cursed. Like I, You will live outside of, my, outside of my promise, outside of my blessing, outside of all the goodness I have for you. If you choose to disobey me and walk your own way, then you'll live without me. But if you live in obedience to me, then I will bless you and I will walk with you and I will be your God and you will be my people, but they don't. And so Lamentations is, is, is the story of generation upon generation upon generation that has chosen to disobey the Lord. And so finally, here it is, they're living outside of God's blessing and they're living in the curse. And that's what happens here. Now, you might think, oh, well, uh, silly uh, Old Testament people, you know, but we know better now. But the reality is, is, I just, I don't buy that. The reality is that even by the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus is still crying this stuff over his people. You see, they've been carried off into captivity and they've been brought back again to the land and the temple has been rebuilt and enter Jesus into that time. But actually, they're still kind of living in captivity because the Romans are now ruling over where they are. And Jesus, when he rides into Jerusalem, and you can read about this in Luke 19 or Matthew 23, but when he rides into Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem. He has his own lament and cries over them, oh, Jerusalem. Like It's like he's crying over them, you still haven't got it. You still haven't got it. You still think that God is, is doing this when actually he's doing that. You're not listening to what he is saying. You're listening to what you want to hear. You see, at the time, there was this narrative that said, yeah, God is going to restore the kingdom and he's going to have victory over the Romans. 
And we know that that's not what happened. We know that Jesus was coming to bring the kingdom and it looked like him dying on the cross and rising to new life and eternal life in him. It looked like something very different to what they thought at that time. And Jesus is just weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, that you would yada the Lord. Oh, that you would know him. But no, you've gone your own way. You've gone your own way. And Jesus even prophesies in his lament that that temple will be destroyed again in AD 70. And it was. And it was because they didn't listen to the word of the, of the Lord. Not just the silly Old Testament people, but oh no, even the New Testament people who had Jesus in their midst still got it wrong. How much do we get it wrong today as well? How much do we get it wrong? We've been talking about his story and our story, his world, not our world that he plays a role in. And we need to wake up and hear his story. Otherwise, this, this is where we end up in the place of lamentation. Um, I met with a friend of mine uh, the other week, and he is involved in leading a church. He is involved in uh, heading up a charity. He's involved in heading up this other uh, movement as well. And he's just a great guy. Love him. And, and he's got such a heart for Jesus, such passion in what he does. And when we met uh, recently, he just shared with me how actually he's doing none of that now. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on there? And he shared with me how going back towards the end of last year, God had just said to him, hey, I want you to stop everything, to stop it all. So he stepped down from leading in his church. He stepped down from the charity that he was part of heading up. He, he, he closed down the, the movement thing that he was, he was doing. And um, he was just trying to be obedient to what God had said. But people around him didn't get it. Like his church would say to him, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, look at what God's using you to do. What, why, why are you stopping this? And in the charity, like, look at all the good work that we're doing. Why would God want you to stop doing that? And, and he just kind of came back and had nothing else to say other than this is what God has told me to do. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient. And he you know mourning the loss of some of that stuff right now but also knows that there's blessing when we choose to obey the word of the lord even when it doesn't look like what we think it should look like you might remember uh, during the journey of uh, us dis discerning god's call for me to come and be pastor here um, i shared with you guys uh, in a coffee evening one night with some questions that you had posed to me, uh, I shared a little bit of the vision that I really believe that God had given me for this church. And it was about bringing the ship back into harbour. It was about stopping the things that we were doing, bringing the ship back in, because we had been out there faithfully serving, but we we're a bit worn out. We we're running out of resources. The ship had been a bit battered and knocked about. And God was saying, well, I love your good works, but, but come back in, come back in. Let the crew have some shore leave. Let's patch up the ship. Let's restock. Let's get back to the word of God, which is our resource for everything. Let's get back to the Holy Spirit, which, is, which produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. And, and it actually feeds us and causes us to live healthily and well and to be able to do all that God has caused us to do. Let's get back to basics. Let's come back into harbor. Let's stop all that we're doing. And, um, and I just really feel that, that that is what God has said to us as a church. Um, and I want to be faithful in that. And I want us to keep walking in that. I want us to choose to obey what God is saying, not maybe what we think is what we should be doing. And that's difficult sometimes, isn't it? To hold up what we think is good, but then also to hold up what God is saying and to trust in that over what we think. 
But Lamentations says this in chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. I want us to be a church that, that uh, are continually seeking God and wanting to do what he says and what he says alone. That's how we will see his kingdom come. That's how we will see true goodness and hope come to people's lives. Um, in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 19 It says this, in that cry, he cries out, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Did you hear that? Even in the midst of all that that they were going through, Jeremiah can cry out, you, Lord, reign forever. Like from generation to generation, you have never failed to be seated on the throne. Never, never failed to be seated on the throne. You've always been in control. Even now, even in the midst of what we see going on, you are in control and you are on the throne and you are working all things for the good of those who love you even if it doesn't make sense to us in that moment I want to jump back to Jeremiah chapter 32 you might remember that story there where Jeremiah is told by God to buy this field and you think why like why buy this field we're being carried off into captivity why buy this field and you remember that in that chapter He buys that field because God says, one day this field will be worth something again. I will restore the land. I will bring my people back and people will buy and sell and build and plant and harvest again. And so Jeremiah trusts in the word of God, even when it doesn't look like uh, it would be hopeful or worth doing that thing in that moment. You see, God promised Abraham that he would bring his people into this land and it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. It would be a land of blessing. But the problem is, you remember from Jeremiah that the people had filled this land with blood. Do you remember that? Do you remember that... um, that they had just ruined it. And so God basically was saying to them, hey, I'm, I'm still committed to my promise. I'm still committed to doing all that I've said I will do to the point that I'm even going to remove my own people from the land so that I can restore it, restore them, and then bring them back. Like he's so committed to his promise. He will not give up on it. He will not give up on it. From generation to generation, he still reigns. And, and in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, God, uh, sorry, Jeremiah in his prayer, he says this. He says, oh Lord God, nothing, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. And so today... As we're reading this stuff from Lamentations, uh, I want us just to press pause for a brief moment. We have travelled through the whole or near most, n- nearly almost all of the Old Testament um, and we're going to be coming into the New Testament soon. Over this last year, we've been on a, a heck of a journey through the Old Testament and wow, isn't it amazing? And I want us to press pause and I just want to do, and I mean really quick, like we're going to do a, a flyover of all that we have read so far. A recap to remind us again just how amazing God is, that nothing is too hard for him. That from generation to generation, he still reigns and sits on the throne. And then those who seek him will see his goodness. I want to use this as a springboard as we start to think about the future. I want to remember all that God has done, that it might spring us forward into what God is yet to do, that we might be a people that choose to trust him over what we see around us, that we choose to listen to his story rather than write 
our own, that we trust that his word is good and brings creation rather than speaking something different that partners with decreation. That is what I want us to do. So let's, let's press pause on this story for a moment and let's jump back to uh, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. He formed order and life and beauty out of what was tohu vavohu, wild and waste and chaos and darkness. He brings forth the light. And how does he do that? Simply by speaking his word. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they, they screw up and uh, they mess up big time. And God has to deal with their sin because he is, he is good and he is a God of justice. And so he deals with their sin. But more than that, like nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. What does he do? He clothes them. His grace triumphs over. His mercy wins out. Yes, he deals with it, but he doesn't just abandon them. He clothes them. Like nothing is too hard for you, Lord. In chapters 6 to 8 of Genesis, everything's fallen apart. The world has become evil. And God, he brings justice and he deals with evil. But he doesn't just wipe everyone out in the flood. As that's his way of dealing with, with evil right then and bringing his justice. But he actually, he chooses, a, um, he chooses Noah and Noah's family and he commits to seeing out his dream at the beginning, which was to have his image and human beings upon the earth. And so he doesn't just give up on it. Nothing is too hard for him. He never quits. He never gives up. And he, even when he has to deal with things that aren't right and good. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about this God who is relational and he blesses as he meets with Abraham and says, I will bless you and, and I will lead you and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Like I am committed to you. I'm committed to you. That is the God he is. Uh, in, in Genesis 21, he fulfills that promise. We read about him bringing uh, bringing uh, Abraham and Sarah to have a child, which just seemed impossible because of their age and also because Sarah was barren. And you think, what? And yet nothing is too hard for God. When he promises it, he delivers on it. In Genesis 27 through to 33, we get the story of Jacob and Esau and man was their relationship messy, but God protects Jacob. He provides for Jacob and he restores Jacob and Esau's relationship. In chapters 37 to 50, uh, we get the story of Joseph and we get the story of how God uh, works through people's wickedness and brokenness to bring about hope and blessing, to save people. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Nothing. Then into Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 and the burning bush where God reveals himself to, to, to this broken man. He uses this guy who, who's murdered. He uses this guy who has run away, who, who, who just is, is, can't even speak. I feel like him right now. Can't even speak. He says, I, I can't do this, Lord. And God says, no, I will do this. I will be with you. Nothing is too hard for him. In Exodus chapters 4 through to 11, we see the incredible story there where through signs and wonders, God conquers uh, the evil Elohim, the, the, the false gods of Egypt, and he brings down the oppressors of his people. 
nothing like we would have imagined him to do. But that is how he does it. Nothing is too hard for him. In Exodus 12 to 15, he sets his people free from Egypt. Not only that, when they are pursued by their enemies, he parts the Red Sea and he leads them right through it. He leads them with fire and a pillar of cloud, like just miraculous things happen. And then when the enemy chases them through, he brings the waters back over and destroys their enemies. He completely sets them free. Nothing is too hard for you, sovereign Lord. In chapter 16, to 17 while they're wandering through the wilderness a barren place where there is nothing God provides food for them with manna and quail and he provides water for them out of a rock out of nowhere God brings forth all that they need and while they're wandering through the wilderness they have victories as well this is this people that are just nowhere to call their own wandering they're reliant upon this manna and quail and this water from this rock like I don't know about you but I'd be struggling in that and yet this enemy comes against them and God gives them the victory over it, even though they're the weaker side. In, in chapters 20 to 40, we get the story of the Ten Commandments. And you might remember this from when we went through Exodus. But the Ten Commandments aren't just a, here are all the laws you need to keep. The Ten Commandments is laid out like this Jewish wedding ceremony. It's God's commitment and covenant of love with his people he gives them this covenant and he gives them a new way to live that is free from the old ways of Egypt. Nothing is too hard for him. He can transform this people through the power of his love by giving them this new way to live. And then we get to the book of Leviticus, which you know is my favorite book. Um, and you think, oh gosh, what do we find in there? But man, how amazing is the book of Leviticus. Because the book of Leviticus, God deals with their sin and their shame. He says, if you mess up here, here is how we put it all right. And he offers them forgiveness and freedom and relationship and restoration. How amazing is that? Nothing is too difficult for him. And from there, we're into the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. And in those books, we discover God still uh, providing, protecting, speaking a prophetic message of hope, healing and restoring. We get stories uh, of victories over battle. We get the stories of, of like Balaam and Balak, where Balak wants Balaam to speak curses over the people of God. And God moves by his spirit upon Balaam and says, no, I'm only going to let you speak blessing upon these people. Even when they don't see it, God is working for their good. How amazing is he? No one can stand against him no one then we get into uh, the book of Joshua and oh man we get the crossing of the Jordan another water body that's pushed back to let his people cross over in front of his presence we get the battle of Jericho imagine just for a moment you come to this city that is known to be impenetrable and God says you're going to conquer this city how are we going to do that Lord you're going to do that just by marching around the city and declaring my praise and sounding the trumpet and I I will bring down the walls nothing is is too difficult for you Lord and he does they encounter the angel of the Lord we get the story of Achan's sin Achan screws up big time uh, and 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 God deals with it 
Like even when sin comes in, he doesn't give up on his people. He deals with it. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing that we have ever done or will ever do could be too big for him to handle or deal with. And he deals with the sin there and he carries on leading his people forward. There's this battle that they're fighting and God causes the sun to stand still so that they can complete the battle. And they win. The sun stands still and it does not move. The day is extended and it lasts longer. Like, wow. There are victories after victories in that book as they take the promised land. And and that is the fulfillment of God. Hundreds of years ago is the fulfillment of the promise from hundreds of years ago to Abraham, where God says, I will bring your descendants into this land. Hundreds of years later, God is fulfilling his promise. He never gives up on what he promised. Never. Nothing is too difficult for him. And then we get into the book of Judges. And what a mess that is. As, as these broken, fallen people keep taking the lead of Israel and trying to rescue them from, from just tragic situations as it then falls apart again and again and again and another one rises up. But God is continually at work. He is continually saving his people again and again and again. Let's just pick out one well-known Gideon. Like Gideon, he's like a weak, feeble character and God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to save my people. And Gideon says, okay, well, uh, really, Lord, let's test that. I'm going to hold out this fleece and you're going to kind of put water on the fleece and not on the ground. And God says, okay, great, I'll do that. I'll do that. I will work with you to to prove to you that I am for you. I'm faithful. I am powerful. And I do not give up on my promise. And I do not give up on my people. And so Gideon says, okay, right. Well, you did that. Now let's do it the other way around. Water on the ground and not on the fleece. And God says, okay, let's do it. Because nothing is too difficult for me. And by the way, Gideon, take your army of thousands of people and whittle it down to just 300. And then ditch all your swords. Because you don't need any of that. All you need is some torches and pots. Go hide around their camp at night and just make noise and I'll do the rest. And you'll win. You'll conquer your enemy. And they do. Because nothing is too difficult for the Lord, our God. And while God just keeps getting better and better and more and more faithful, the people just keep getting worse and worse, don't they? And, and, and the book of Judges ends by saying um, that tragic line where it says, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we get the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, uh, it seems like a random story, hey, but Ruth marries this guy and uh, they have a son. And you think, well, what's all this got to do with anything? Because God hasn't given up. He doesn't just work in the national. He works in the personal as well. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small for him. And through this couple, the line of David is born and they become the great grandparents of David. And eventually David is born and God is working to bring about a king who will bear his image and rule over his people and bring justice and peace. He hasn't given up on his promise and on on even his creative creation idea right from the beginning to have his image walk across the earth and born out through human beings. And so he raises up this line of David and we know that through that line eventually comes Jesus. And Jesus steps onto the earth and and we're going to get there very soon. But he goes about performing these miracles, healing people, forgiving people and then he dies 
and he rises up from the grave and conquers death. Like how amazing is this story? And between Ruth and, and Jesus, between David and Jesus, we get the books of, of one and two kings and chronicles. You'll remember those. Let's just touch on that, right? Because through there, we get these prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and they do some epic things with the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they stop it raining. They, 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 they resurrect people from the dead. You might remember the story of Elisha. He's even dead. He's gone. And his bones are buried. And, and they're burying this other guy. And they notice raiders coming in. So they just sling the guy into Elisha's tomb. And as this guy touches the bones of Elisha, boom, he springs to life. Because that's the power of God upon his person. Incredible. Uh, they call down fire from heaven. Uh, they heal leprosy. There's all kinds of things that go on in, in those stories as well. Because nothing, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. And he is committed to his promise. He is committed to what he's doing. No element Nothing in the world, no person, nor even his own people, even all their enemies, nothing will stand against who he is and what he can and will do. He is committed to seeing his kingdom come. He is committed to Eden upon the earth. He is committed to his people and seeing his promise fulfilled to them. From generation to generation, he reigns and he has always been on the throne. He has always been on the throne. He will fulfill his promises. Now, back to Lamentations. Many people use Lamentations as a book to say, hey, it's okay to lament. It's okay to feel sorrow and to weep and to cry out. And, and I'm with them on that. It, absolutely it is. It is. And, and the, the words of Lamentations, along with the words of the Psalms and Job and other places in the Bible, they help give language and expression to the sorrow that we sometimes feel. And they are great for that. But this isn't the only reason that this is in this book. That's not the only reason God has given us Lamentations. You see, when I look at the book of Lamentations... I see a book that is a stark warning and a wake-up call for the people of God. It is a stark warning and a wake-up call for the people of God. It, it shouts out at me and it makes me go, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be where Jeremiah is weeping over South Bristol in 50 or 70 years time, thinking if only we had trusted the word of God rather than doing what we thought was right. And now look at what's happened. I, I want to get, like, I don't know how long I'll be here. I don't know how long you'll be here. I don't know how long we'll be doing this thing here as counterslip. Who knows, right? But my hope is that it's going to be for a while. My hope is that we're going to be here and see South Bristol transformed by the goodness of God through his word and the power of his spirit. That is my hope. That is my hope. Someone told me when I was kind of 14, 15, um, and I was starting to sense the call of God uh, for leadership in church on my life. Um, I was talking to someone. They asked where I was from. And I said where I was from, from Harcliffe in South Bristol. And, and they, they looked at me, and I'll never forget these words. They said, all right, South Bristol, that's where prophets, uh, sorry, that's where evangelists go to die. <laughs> I was like, not on my watch, God, not on my watch. 
Like, I want to see this place transformed for your kingdom, for your glory. I want to see the people of South Bristol know your goodness and your hope and your healing and your forgiveness. That is what I long to see. And you know how that happens? Through the church, through his kingdom, through his people, through you and I choosing to obey his word and live differently and see his spirit move in power as we step out in that stuff. I want to trust what he says, not what we say. I don't want to get to this point and look back and go if only and lament over this church or over South Bristol do you want that I don't want that I want to get to the point where I look back and I go yes it was hard Lord and it didn't look like we thought it would look and you never did it like we thought you would do it but we trusted you and we stepped out and we kept being faithful and obedient to your word and wow look what you have done your kingdom is breaking in I want to be part of that Don't you want to be part of that? You see, that's what Lamentations does for me. It wakes me up and it brings this warning to me. You see, Jeremiah was this guy who trusted in the word of the Lord. He sought God's word even when it flew in the face of even his own people. He sought to hear God's word and stand faithfully upon that. Lamentations, well, Lamentations is what happens when nobody else chose to trust him and to believe what he believed about what God was saying. That's what Lamentations is. Lamentations is the story of it all falling apart because nobody else wanted to seek the word of God. They just wanted to do what they thought was right. They just wanted to do what they thought would be good for them. I told you about my friend earlier and when he felt God say, time to stop. And uh, he said these words to me and and I, I love this. He said that when people were asking him why, like, why? Why would you not want to be involved in this thing or that thing? Why would you not like, look, look at this. How good is this? He said to, to me that his response was simply to say, do you know what? God is the CEO of this. He is the CEO. And so if he says it, I do it. Whatever he says, we do. If it makes sense to us or not, we do it. We choose him every time. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25. Let me read this to you one more time. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. We're going to worship in just a moment. Um, And I want us to use this song that Emma's going to lead us in as our cry, as our song to God to say, yes, Lord, you, we lay everything else down right now. You are all that we want. You are all that we need. And we choose you. We choose you. We want this to be our cry. We don't want to get to the point of lamenting over how it's all fallen apart because we didn't choose you. No, right now, in this moment, all these things we're carrying, all the hopes and dreams that we have had, We lay it all down and we say yes to you and only you and everything else can wait because you have the words of eternal life, because you and you alone are good, because all hope comes from you, because nothing is too hard for you and you never give up on your promises. You never give up on all that you have dreamed about bringing in. Lord God, we trust in you. Let's pray. Father God. 
Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for lamentations. Yes, it helps us to find language to cry out when we are in need and we are broken and sorrowful. But God, we want to stand here today and recognize the warning of that word. Father, we don't want to be where Jeremiah was. We don't want to see what your people saw back then. We don't want to wander away from you. We choose you, God. So we lay everything down before you now, all that we're holding. Even as we think about the future of our church and what it might look like when we come back together again um, and what we might do and how we might be, we lay it all down because none of that matters except for what you say. Lord, those who seek you will know your goodness. So right now, in this moment, we seek you. We seek you. Reveal yourself to us, God. Reveal your heart to us, God. And speak your word of life again to this church and to this city.